this is Adrian Gallish, and you guys can reach me at adriangalish.com. But more importantly, you are listening to the Guitar Radio Show. Oh, he couldn't be more right. That's right, we have Adrian Gallish on the show today. This is episode 27 of Guitar Radio Show. You're plugged in. Let's do this. Well, hello, everybody. Welcome to episode 27 of the Guitar Radio Show. show dedicated to all things guitar. Dedicated to the guitar player, guitar builder, gear maker, and purveyors of those items that you just might not know about. But chances are you should. Yep. We've got Adrian Gallish on the show today. Super psyched for that. This is a, uh, his new album is called Tone Poet. And we have a really in-depth conversation about music, making it in this business, being a survivor in this business, marketing in this business, and, uh, you know, guitar. <laughs> this is a great guitar player, folks. You're really going to enjoy this show. Uh, hey, check us out on GuitarRadioShow.com. We're loving the new website. Uh, we're getting better and better with it every day. <laughs> Pretty soon there'll be a, um, there'll actually be a, uh, a, a store where you'll be able to buy that swag that I'm always joking about. You'll actually be able to buy swag. But no, I'm sorry, there will not be any guitar radio show thimbles. Sorry for those of you who sew. Shame. Hey, the Road Dog. If you'd like to be uh, have your 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 beautiful beat up baby or even your pristine Les Paul or Strat on the homepage of GuitarRadioShow.com you can email us with your photo and description of the beloved instrument uh, at GuitarRadioShow at gmail.com or on the homepage of GuitarRadioShow.com just go to the contact GRS tab hey please like our Facebook page Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, Tumblr, and Vine. We'll follow you back. And uh, like I said, you hear this show on GuitarRadioShow.com, iTunes, and Stitcher Radio. When you do, please rate and review the show. It helps us in the ranking so we can turn more people onto the show. Well, let's get going with this. Um, I played you, uh, last episode, I played you this, this amazing guitar player by the name of Cameron Allen. And I really think you need to hear some more of that. So here's some Cameron Allen on Guitar Radio Show.
Yes, sir. That's Cameron Allen, and the track is called Jackknife on a Hairpin. Uh, we're going to have Cameron on soon. I just finished my interview with him, and uh, really excited to have him on. Incredibly talented guy. Um, here's my feature interview with another incredibly talented guitar player, Mr. Adrian Gallish. Enjoy. All right, Adrian Gallish, welcome to the Guitar Radio Show. How are you today? I'm doing great, Mark. Thanks for having me. Thanks for being on the show. Um, you have a new album out called Tone Poet. Uh, it's available on uh, iTunes, CD Baby, Amazon, and where else? Everywhere else, right? Just about everywhere, yeah. Yeah. Um, it's really an interesting, uh, interesting album. And I say this, folks, at home. Uh, he's a great guitar player, a really, a really technical, a really technically great guitar player, and he infuses so much feeling into what he plays. But the thing I think that is most important here is everybody, and when you hear the tunes, you'll understand what I mean. He's a very visual composer, which I I, I found. I mean, when I, as I hear the songs, it conjures up all sorts of visual ideas. When you hear the songs, um, I, I, I mean, I'm going to ask you about some of these songs and you know where you came to, what, what was the thought process with some of these songs. But um, just to give folks a little more background about you, you're in Los Angeles. You're an instructor. You've been a guitarist for probably your, almost your whole adult life. Um, you've been a session cat in L.A., and you've uh, worked side alongside uh, Yuli John Roth, yep. um, who everyone knows. If you don't know who Yuli John Roth is at this point, listening to this show, we've got a problem. Uh, <clears throat> one of the founding members of the Scorpions and really was uh, one of the architects or ar- archetypes of, um, of modern shred, I guess. Sure. Um, so... Give us, before we get into the album, we start talking about everything else that you got going on. And, you know, folks, <laughs> you know, if, if, if people used to call uh, James Brown the hardest working man in show business, well, now that James Brown is gone, I have a feeling that Adrian is the hardest working man. <laughs> well, I don't know about that. You got a lot of irons in the fire, my friend. I, uh, you know, these days as a musician, um, you have to, I always tell people that, you know, you you're going to wear a lot of different hats to really pay the bills. And that could sometimes, you know, given the day that could be, yeah, doing a a session for, you know, a recording studio for a session date here and there. That could be teaching guitar lessons. That could be performing with your own band, performing in a cover band, doing weddings, going on a tour, uh, writing articles, writing books, on and on and on. There's so many different, you know, things you'll be doing to really have it come together. I think gone are the days where you could get a record deal and that was your living and touring. Um, you know, unless you're very lucky these days. And then gone are the days where you could just be a session musician uh, all week long. You know, the guys who are known for being that, um, they're not working like they used to just 10 years ago. You know, it's really the guys that I know who, who were making a very mm-hmm. healthy living doing that, that's maybe not even half of what their income is today. Yeah. Um, so it's really uh, good to you know be well-rounded and open-minded and uh, a bit organized, and that's going to help in the long run to you know 
be able to know how to record, be able to know how to communicate and be an effective teacher or instructor and uh, know how to play your instrument. Yeah, for sure. And I think, I think you know, there's several different things that, that, that were in play there that, that changed that whole scene, which was, I think, technology, technology changing in the manner in which it has, has, has done that. And I think, uh, obviously, musical tastes have changed, too. And what's, and be, I think due to that musical technology, that new technology, music was able to be more canned, more homogenized, easier, more easily produced, and, uh, and for cheaper. Yeah, yeah. I mean, everybody now has, if you have a laptop, you have the ability to make a pro-quality recording, just like I did. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so let's get into that. Let's talk about okay. that, that record. It's called Tone Poet. Yeah. Um, you've, you've had other releases before. Um, I've heard them, but this is very different. Um, in all, <clears throat> you know, in all the ways in my mind, the album is you know, everybody's going to say their latest is their greatest, but I think production-wise, uh, composition-wise, and the overall quality of, you know, simply the takes, the performances, and uh, guitar tone, it, it's the best thing I've done. And I think um, a lot of it had to do with uh, being able to rely on myself here at my home studio. And for better or worse, I had the ability over the course of two years to uh, make sure that all the takes were the way I wanted them, to make sure that the mixes, you know, I could take my time with, you know, making the mixes sound just the way I think I needed them to be. And I wasn't under the gun, you know, in previous uh, albums, you know, I would have to get drum tracks done by a certain amount of time, you know, at, at somebody's studio. And then I'd have to record maybe my parts here, but still mix it at somebody else's studio and be on the clock and on and on and on. And uh, luckily I had a, a team of players and engineers that were uh, really believed in the project and, you know, took their time with it and made sure that, you know, every time I would say, well, I think it needs a tweak here and there, that they were cool with it. Mm -hmm. And I, I mean, there were times where luckily the, the, the musicians that I had on here were really supportive and helpful and I would send them mixes just to kind of get their input of the tunes. And there was even a couple tracks where I re-recorded a guitar part after mastering. Like literally the, the thing was getting ready to be pressed. And uh, Todd Zuckerman would be like, you know, your timing's a little funny on this one part. And I'm like, ah, crap, he's right. And then I'd be like, all right, let me, you know, hope, put the brakes on everything. And I would do a retake. And that's not to say that, you know, the album is uh oh what's it called you know if, if somebody really kind of does overkill it can be kind of you know convoluted and a little uninspiring and luckily <clears throat> my sometimes my own work uh ethic for myself is i'm pretty good with ah that was a pretty good take let's keep that i'm kind of lazy in that aspect when uh -huh. it comes to me uh -huh. but luckily the people that was you know uh mixing and and uh playing on the record they might catch things that they think, you know, either intonation-wise or, or performance-wise could have been done better. You know, I th think there's something to be said about the excitement of a first take or second take and uh, getting that down onto tape. Even if it's not a 100% perfect performance, I typically err on the side of, man, the energy was great, let's keep that versus beating it to death and having something that, you know, sounds convoluted. 
song that opens the album. It's called Resurrectus. Yeah. Um, so haunting and uh, a beautiful arrangement. And it's it's you in a, in a string background, essentially. Um, With choir. Yeah, it's just it's just amazing. Thanks. Um, wh- what's what's the impetus for that? What is where um, did that come from? So I grew up in a household that listened to classical music, and I've always appreciated it. And being a child of the '80s, um, I was into guitarists like Randy Rhodes, Uli John Roth, and all these classically inspired, you know, guys. Um, but in addition to that, I had the benefit of growing up hearing things like Mozart's Requiem and Carmina Burana by Carl Orff and on and on and on. And man, I always dreamt of being able to write, you know, that kind of epic sort of, you know, haunting uh, choral music and classical music and find a way to, you know, incorporate it into, you know, modern rock guitar. It's an idiom. And the technology just wasn't around until the last couple of years. Um, my album before this was in 2007, 2008 called earth tones. And to be honest, I had a lot of writer's block between then and uh, writing tone poet. And a lot of it had to do with, I would get ideas here at my home studio. I would sequence out, you know, keyboard parts and stuff and uh, start writing and recording tracks, but the quality would be so demo-like that I just would not be interested in even putting the effort in finishing the track. So it always bummed me out that I might have a germ of an idea, but it never sounded like it was ever going to be anything great. So at a certain point, I invested in upgrading my studio with both recording software, and then these days, they have these sample and sound libraries, the same stuff that you know, Hans Zimmer might use to score a movie um, is the stuff that I'd be using. And um, the stuff is as real as can be because it's samples of real people playing, you know, symphonic and instruments and a real choir singing phrases and, uh, and, and syllables and stuff like that. And uh, the stuff that's out there today is, is mind boggling. I mean, it's so real because it's literally real. They sample every note of every instrument mm-hmm. And you can literally compose under your fingers on your keyboard. Mm-hmm. So when I got that and started playing around with these amazing sounding real symphonic and, and choral uh, uh, sounds, everything that I played sounded freaking awesome. And it was like, wow, this is cool. I mean, I can finally do what I wanted to do and it'll sound pretty darn real. Mm-hmm. And I even remember sending my mom uh, that tune just to kind of as a teaser of, of the album and uh, her response was, you know, her not knowing much about the music business, she goes, Adrian, isn't that expensive? And don't you have to pay the choir a royalty every time? <laughs> she thought it was a real choir. And I'm like, well, there you go. If my mom, who, you know, is the one that, you know, had me listening to all this, you know, music to begin with when I was a kid, thinks it's a real choir, then I think I've got something here. <laughs>
La Dolce Vita is, yeah. is I mean, I see it in the movie. It, <laughs> should, it should be in a movie. Now, granted, luckily I've been to Italy and I've walked the same streets as the movie. <laughs> so I kind of <laughs> felt like I could call it that. But yeah, the I mean, that's another tune that was written right after Resurrectus. Obviously, it's kind of the same instrumentation, but I was like, man, I got to make something where I can do this with drums and bass and guitar right. and everything else. Mm -hmm. And in my mind, um, you know, I, I was like, man, I think I'm going to call this song La Dolce Vita. And that even inspired me to make it even kind of more Italian sounding. And then, uh, you know, a lot of what, what I do is kind of me asking myself, what would it sound like if so-and-so did this? You know, if I took Eric Johnson out of his element and put him in an Italian classical theme, you know, <laughs> thing, what would that sound like? Or what would it sound like if I had, you know, so-and-so doing, you know, these odd pairings? And then that's kind of where I, I try to take it. Right. Well, it, it, you, you nailed it. it. That song really soars. It's just, Thanks. it's just so huge. I love it. It's probably one of my favorites on the album, too. I love it.
Then you've got a tune on there. Um, then you've got a tune on there called Flying, uh, which features vocalist Mark. Am I pronouncing it right? Bowl? Uh Mark Bowles. Um, yeah, he's the guy who uh, most people would know sang on uh, Ingvay Malmsteen's trilogy album. Right. Now that song, to me, uh, if I was to like, if I was a you know a program director at a music as a, as a radio station. I say, oh, there's our tune. There's a, there's our radio friendly song. That's the one we're gonna play on. You know, I've heard that. Time. It's been sort of mixed for the vocal stuff. You know, the vocal tunes is is a new thing for me. And Mark sang on four tracks, and they're all kind of different. Yeah, um, they are. And oddly enough, I hear you know people have different favorites. Um, and that one I've heard from a few people, and that was kind of the idea. You know, oddly enough, the inspiration for that groove and that track, and nobody's gonna believe me, was. Uh, Winger, <laughs> um, his solo material uh, albums like uh, uh, this conversation seems like a dream and songs from the ocean floor is brilliant. If you like Peter Gabriel, if you like the Beatles, if you like uh, elements of Pink Floyd, it's all on there, and it's nothing like you know headed for a heartbreak or she's only mm-hmm. seventeen. Right, it's like. AOR kind of uh, style music, but very artistic, really great production. Yeah. And um, that's kind of where I was vibing with that one. But it kind of took on a life of its own. Um, certainly Mark has his own quality of, of vocals there. Um, but um, I, I dig that tune. I think what I dig most about it is uh, the overall groove and vibe and how it kind of has sort of this slight Middle Eastern kind of thing going on and then towards the end there's a neat little bit where uh, it's kind of a trade-off between Mark sort of uh, ending the tune and some uh, interweave with some guitar solo parts and again, choir So tired of this old town There's nothing left around Now that you are gone
you were in the uh, uh, February 2014 issue of of Guitar Player Magazine. Congra- mm-hmm. Congratulations on that. It's fantastic. Thanks. I actually, um, you and I were Facebook friends before that, and then I saw it and I sent you congratulations, and I thought it was, I was like, wow, check it out. This is amazing. This was so great. I was so happy for you. <laughs> um, um, because, you know, I mean, I mean, for every young guitar player out there who reads that magazine or Guitar World or any one of those magazines, you know, you read those magazines and you look and you see all those people that you just idolize in there, like Randy and, and Eddie and Steve Vai and all those cats. And, and, and then, uh, and then to be in it. Yeah. Everything you just said is true. (laughs) And, uh, it felt really good and it was really mind blowing and, yeah, nothing could have made me happier. My birthday's in February, and to be in the February issue of Guitar Player, which most people consider to be like the guitar magazine, uh, was really awesome. And, yeah. you know, I've got a collection at my parents' house since I was 12 years old that probably is filling up, you know, bookshelves somewhere in the garage. <laughs> and I just go back and reread them, and it's, it is neat to see, you know. Yeah. Um, if you're old enough like me, you saw the first issue where, you know, Yngwie Malmsteen was in the back or something, you know, yeah. or Paul Gilbert, and on and on and on. Yeah, so. and Mike Varney's old column, the yep, yep. column, yeah.
become quite a uh, force to be reckoned with in regards to <laughs> in regards to what's going on with you and Facebook, and particularly um, with you and uh, YouTube, your YouTube channel. Um, the YouTube channel, you know, it's by dumb luck. I mean, the thing is, is I've always been into uh, marketing and trying to be, you know, my little self promote you know machine and of course you know I do a lot of reading and stuff like that about marketing and sales and stuff just to try to you know be able to do this myself I've always been of the opinion that I really just can't count on anybody else I, I there's no record label that's going to sign this kind of music so I might as well you know do it on my own and of course the way technology and the internet has kind of unfolded allows me to do that uh, more so now than ever before um, with YouTube, I started kind of by just putting up performance videos, a song from, you know, the last gig here and there. And then I started doing some lesson videos. And uh, one of the lesson videos is uh, probably my most viewed one. is called The Scale That Will Change Your Life. And it's based on a scale that I uh, was shown by a jazz guitarist named Henry Johnson from Chicago. We were doing a guitar clinic uh, workshop in Pittsburgh at the Duquesne University uh, Summer Guitar Workshop, and this was probably 10, 15 years ago. And I remember approaching him. We were, I think we were playing each other's guitars, as teachers would do. You know, hey, let me check out your axe, and yeah, I'll play my axe kind of thing. And I took that opportunity to go, man, you know, as a, as a dumb old rock guitarist, can you show me, Mr. Jazz Guy, um, how I can kind of get that outside um, jazzy, Alan Holdsworthy kind of, you know, sound, I go, just don't make it too complicated. You know, it's just, is there an easy trick? Is there a trick to doing this? And uh, I'll let people watch the video to find out what the trick is. Okay. But I ended up, you know, taking that and kind of running with it. And then everybody, you know, every guitar buddy I knew, I'd go, hey, check out this scale. And I would tell them what to do. And like two weeks later, they'd be like, holy crap, Adrian, I can't stop playing this. And so I'm like, well, man, this has kind of been my little secret weapon, but I know I should put this out there. <laughs> so I put it in a YouTube video, and of course the, the title is salacious as all could be, the scale that will change your life, how, how presumptuous. And uh, I put it out there, and of course, within a week or two, it's got like, you know, a thousand hits, which I'm like, well, that's kind of strange. Nothing I've ever put out has that many, you know, views. And then it just started like exponentially growing, you know, at this point it's like got, I don't know, something like 480,000 views or something like that. And on a daily basis, that video, according to YouTube, is viewed like 1,200 times a day. And so it just keeps going and going and going, has a life of its own. Right. And uh, that kind of prompted me to keep doing more lesson videos. So funny enough, as much as I would love people to, you know, check out my performances and, and buy my albums... Really, the audience out there wants to learn how to play guitar, apparently. <laughs> so uh, the, the lesson videos is kind of where that's at. But I use that as, you know, a vehicle to, you know, promote my albums and yeah. uh, my books and things like that. Yeah. And uh, I would have to thank that single video for helping, you know, all my other videos and views. That's really probably what, you know, gets uh, people to subscribe to my channel as often as they do. Mm -hmm. So right now, I think I've got, you know, it, it's not huge. I mean, there's tons of videos of cats and babies, you know, hitting people in the nuts with baseball bats, getting millions of views. <laughs> but uh, I think at least, you know, my channel gets probably a good, you know, few thousand views a, a day. Um, 
and there, I think there's like maybe 2,085 subscribers, something like that right now. Oh, that's great. So I do that, and then I parlay some of those lesson <laughs> videos uh, into lesson columns for Guitar World magazine. And, of course, they have a huge audience, and every time they post one of my columns and lessons, uh, I get even more views. And mm -hmm kind of takes on a life of its own. Mm -hmm. So if there's any guitarists out there that don't have a, uh, a YouTube channel with guitar lesson videos yet, I highly recommend it. That's right. And you, so you, you just got this great snowballing effect that's taking place for you, which is great. It really comes down to laying down the, the groundwork for success, I found, mm -hmm. found out. You know, a few things that came to mind after this album was released, and now that, you know, this Tone Poke's been out since December 3rd. It's uh, April ninth or whatever now or, or eighth and um looking back two things you know I, I think about business wise i go well man i couldn't have had this amount of press and positive response you know five years ago let it alone 10 years ago without the technology and the internet and me literally laying down the groundwork of having you know all those Facebook friends and all those Twitter followers and all those YouTube subscribers. Sure. Um, but at the same time, I look at the checks that come in and I go, well, shit, if this album came out 10 years ago, that would have been a different story. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Could have been. <laughs> Could have been. I'm like, wow, more people know about me now than ever before, yet money-wise, I'm making less than ever before. <laughs> so, <laughs> At least from album sales, you know. Right. And of course, there's, you know, file sharing sites and stuff, right. and that occupies a certain amount of my week, right. right? Cease and desist letters and stuff like that. <laughs> but man, I mean, it, it's it, the biggest difference is really being, you know, having been able to sell a physical CD for 10 or 15 bucks a pop versus now getting pocket change for a song here and there on the internet. Yeah. I wish I had the solution. Yeah, well, <laughs> I, I, there, there's going to be another change. I'm not sure what it's going to what it's going to be and what it's going to look like and what it's going to, but there's something going to happen. Well, the idea for me now, I think going forward, at least my strategy is that I've, I'm going to keep the uh, the you know the products coming out. I think I'm going to focus on coming out with a new album sooner than later. Uh -huh. And I think the more that I can constantly be in people's, uh, in front of people, you know, uh, whether it be press or social media, you know, I, mm -hmm. I can't do what I did before, which is take five years between albums.
Yeah, you also have a book, which is called mm-hmm. it's called Progressive Guitar Warm Ups and Exercises. Yeah. Now, was that a a direct result of of all the teaching that you've done? Totally. Yeah. I get students uh, who are either beginners or they've been playing for a few months or a few years or they're adults or kids, and they all seem to have the same holes in their skill set. Half of that is, you know, having a basic vocabulary and understanding and having, you know, chords and scales under their belt. But the other half is simply being able to play the guitar with proper, you know, technique and strength and coordination. And luckily, let's see, I'm 39 now. I've been teaching since I was 17 or 18. And I've witnessed other people teaching and and have kind of, you know, picked up all the great things that I saw and kind of hopefully scraped away some of the bad ideas that I saw. And I put together in this book, and the idea being I I put together a number of literally just warm-ups and exercises that would help students with uh, finger strength, coordination, finger independence, endurance, and increase their right-hand picking technique. And I put it in an order from the most simple of concepts to the most complicated. With the idea being, if you've got two or three minutes, well, start at the beginning of the book and get as far as you can, you know, for, through the first, you know, two, three, or four exercises, mm-hmm. and that should kind of help and do the trick. If you've got more time on your hands, well, try to plow through as many more as you can. Mm-hmm. But you would start from the beginning and work towards the end however far you can get so if you have a half hour which most people do then that's how long it takes to do the book it's literally you know 30 exercises um but it goes from the most simple and basic uh to more complicated uh concepts and ideas Mm -hmm. and it's stuff that man i as a teacher i need to find the right tool for whatever is you know preventing a, a particular student from you know moving ahead and whether it's the kid doesn't use his pinky in his left hand or all he does is downstrokes with his right hand or they're inconsistent in both, then I need to find out maybe what kind of exercise or warm-up or uh, thing that they can practice to kind of fix that, and I've put them in this book. Cool. And it's, it seems like it's, it's, a, it's all laid out in a linear fashion. Exactly. So, that's why it's, that's the progressive part. Right. It gets progressively more complicated. Right. Makes sense. Makes sense. So, um, being the gear junkie that I am, <laughs> we need to talk about that. Um, you're an endorser, endorser of uh, SIT strings, uh, mm-hmm. Morley pedals, yeah, Duncan pickups, yep, and Brian Moore guitars. Yeah. So let's. I always like to start with the guitar because that's sure. you know. That's the bread and butter right there. So um, where are you at with that? Tell us about your um, – you have the Adrian Gallish C90F guitar. That's your signature model. Correct. Spalted maple top, right? So it's uh, it's based on their usual models, which they used to have called a C55, and now it's the C90. Mine has uh, just two humbuckers. Um so it it is uh, sort of like their base design model at Brian Moore Guitars, which also goes by the name of iGuitar Workshop these days. Mm-hmm. And based on that design, uh, I, I 
had a few different changes and preferences that they incorporated in this custom guitar for me. And one was the two humbuckers. It's a uh, Seymour Duncan JB in the bridge and an Alnoco 2 Pro in the neck, which is a pretty classic uh, setup that most people have. Really the only difference there is that I'm able to uh, split the sound and get uh, five different tones, or actually seven different tones out of it. Um, I try to explain to people it's got a five-way switch like a Strat, but it also has a push-pull knob on the tone. Uh, and from the bridge position, that would be a full humbucker. You click it over one more to the second position, and that splits that bridge humbucker to the single coil closest to the bridge, so you get that Strat sound. You click it to the middle position, number three, and it's the single coil from the humbucker plus the single coil from the neck split. So it's like a Telecaster sound at that point. Wow. Nobody uses the middle pickup anyway, so I left it out. <laughs> um, <laughs> you go over one more click to the fourth position, and then it's just the single coil of the neck. One more to the last and fifth position is the neck humbucker. And then when you pull the tone pot, uh, that turns the front humbucker back on, so now you have both humbuckers, like the middle switch of a Les Paul. And then, if you go back one to the fourth position on the on the five-way switch with the toe knob pulled, you have the neck single coil plus the bridge humbucker together. So you get seven tones out of it. Wow. Um, the spalted maple top is really awesome looking. Um, I remember seeing the spalted woods first uh years ago at the nam show at the brian moore booth and just going man that is awesome i've never seen this before mm-hmm. it's it looks like wood it looks like stone holy crap it look, looks insane it's amazing it's amazing too isn't it because the, there was a time when spalted wood was considered a throwaway yeah, because it's a diseased piece of wood, and that's what gives it that bizarre black, you know, lineage yeah, that ran yeah. through it. That was considered um, unacceptable. Yeah, and, and in a lot of ways, it kind of is. <laughs> <laughs> so in my guitar, one of the things that I insisted on was I wanted a satin finish. I didn't want a polished, you know, polyurethane gloss finish. And the guys at Brian Moore were like, are you sure, Adrian? Because we'd really like to get you a glossy finish. And it turns out the reason being is that the wood is so pitted and it has so many holes that they have to fill in gaps and on and on and on, and that the uh, grain itself is so pitted that if you just stick a, 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 a finish on top of that, a clear coat, well, that solves a whole lot of problems for the guy you know, finishing the guitar. Yeah. But I was like, nah, man, I'm telling you, this is going to look awesome without it because you're going to look at the guitar and you're going to see all the grain without any glare or shine from lights. Um, that, and I'll never have to polish it with, you know, my own, you know, polish. I, I, I don't have to worry about fingerprints, satin finish. And, uh, and man, I, I think I was right. Um, I would say that the downside is, yeah, on occasion, I have to uh, have the... The, the pitting, um, I'll have them refill it every now and then because mm-hmm. it does wear away. Mm-hmm. And uh, it, it's, it's some kind of bizarre like glue or epoxy that they start to put in there and then they kind of just buff around it a little bit and right. that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, but it's that. Everything's got gold hardware. Um, the guys at Seymour Duncan are were really cool and provided uh, uh, pickups with gold pull pieces. 
So yeah, it's kind of Liberace'd out. <laughs> and what kind of pickups are you using? Um, so yeah, like I said, it's the JB Humbucker in the bridge and right. uh, the, the Alnico Two Pro oh, the Alnico in the neck. Two. Okay. And now what? I've got another Brian Moore, and it's a it's a green uh, finish, and it's a three pickup, a JB in the bridge, and then two hot rails, um, which is kind of a bizarre combo. But the neat thing about it is, um, uh, well, one, it's green, it looks cool, emerald green finish, but the pickup selector works almost the same way. Um, the front position at the bridge uh, would be the humbucker. You click it over one, and you got yourself. At that point, instead of the single coil, it does split the humbucker, but it's a single coil from the bridge and a single coil from the middle, so you have that out-of-phase strat sound. And then the middle switch, uh, third position of the five-way pickup selector, then uses the single coil split from the humbucker at the bridge and a single coil split from the neck, giving you the tele sound again. Cool. You go over one more to the fourth mm -hmm. position, and it does the same thing, but between now the neck and the middle uh, hot rails, it, it gives you the single coil and single coil like on a Strat again. Mm -hmm. And then uh, the last position would be the hot rail humbucker itself. But the hot rails tend to be not so – It's it really is somewhere between the sound of a single coil and a humbucker. Mm -hmm. It's, it's hum-canceling, but I think the coils are so close together that it still kind of picks up similar uh, information that a single coil would. So I kind of like that round, bluesy, stratty kind of tone mm -hmm. from that. Yeah, throaty. Um, that guitar also has the pull switch on the tone knob. And what that does, if I remember correctly, is similar. It turns the humbucker back on in the bridge. So in the fifth position, I've got the neck humbucker and the bridge humbucker together, like the middle switch of a Les Paul. Mm -hmm. And then if I go back one position, I believe it's all three pickups at once. Cool. Wow. You know, as a session musician, that kind of setup really saves me from having to drag, you know, three or four guitars to a session. Sure. I can take, you know, that guitar and somebody wants something country sounding, I can get it. Something bluesy sounding, I can get it. Something that sounds like a Strat or a Les Paul, I can get it. That's cool. And that's that, and that's really what it comes down to. And, and when you're on stage, too, for that matter, you don't want to change oh, the yeah, songs all yeah. night also. And I, I made it so that all the tones are useful, you know, the way I have them set up. Mm -hmm. um, like I said, if you own a Strat, you never use the middle switch pickup, really. Um, same with almost a Les Paul. I mean, you kind of do sometimes if you're trying to do the Jimmy Page thing, but most people kind of just go front to back. Yeah. And, uh, I, but most people that have a Strat also like those second and fourth uh, out of phase, you know, squawky yeah. kind of uh, pickup selection. So for sure, try yeah. to get both. Yeah. So, uh, with the SIT strings, what gauge are you using? Um, nines, usually, and I use stainless steel. I've got such funny, greasy pH something going on in my fingers that I really go through a set of strings really fast. And so when I was using the nickel wounds, I found that they would just tarnish really quick and uh, wouldn't last. So I asked them if there was something out there, and they go, yeah, we got stainless steel strings. And I'm like... Cool, send those over. Um, they're a little bit brighter and more metallic, I guess, kind mm -hmm. of, you know, maybe brittle, mm -hmm. my people might say. Yeah. But that kind of goes away after <laughs> the first few minutes of, of playing once you sort of stretch them out and stuff. I'm throw some grease um, on but them. I use those generally because they, they simply last longer for mm -hmm. me. Mm -hmm. So, okay, so then what about uh, as far as, as your 
Do you have a pick preference? Um, yeah. Uh, Big Stubbies by Jim Dunlop. The, the heavies, I guess. The 2.0s or something. Uh-huh. Yeah. I like those. They're really comfortable. They're pointy, so I get good articulation. Uh-huh. Um, it, it, it sounds stupid, but I'll get emails from somebody in Romania asking if I can send them like a personal pick. I'll be like, yeah, but it's not like it has my signature on it or anything, you know. <laughs> it's a big stubby. It's got a big grip in the middle, you know. So it's, I always wondered, man, if I ever make it big, can I get big stubbies with my with my signature right? on it? Right, yeah. <laughs> so the Morley pedals, what do you got running on the floor? Um, I've got two things from them right now that I – usually can't live without one of them is an ab switcher and the other one is the bad horsey wawa pedal mm-hmm. um, on occasion i have uh, the little alligator volume pedal mm-hmm. but the bad horsey to me it, it sounds great and the fact that it turns on by simply stepping on it is yeah. brilliant and it also has a uh, it doesn't when it's off um oh what's it called there, there's no loss in signal they, they've got, you know, a true bypass uh, thing going on there. And all the old uh, wah-wah pedals of your kind of, you know, when you weren't using it, really took the life out of your sound. Yeah, they would suck the tone for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Especially the older ones. They would really... Plus, it's made it's made like a tank. All their stuff will last forever. Oh, yeah, for sure. Um, and what kind of amps are you running out of? Um. I've got probably, uh, man, people laugh when they see it, and I really should probably update what I'm using, but <laughs> it sounds pretty good. I've got a, a small rack, and people are like, wow, still using one of those? And it's a Marshall JMP1 preamp, so that was their uh, MIDI channel switchable 100 preset you know, tube preamp. Um, but it sounds great. It's the same preamp that the dudes in Iron Maiden and Def Leppard and a bunch of bands from the 90s use. Billy Gibbons is still using it. Probably, yeah. you know. And the great thing is that it really gets you either the classic JCM 800 tone or the more modern, you know, 2000 type tones. Right. Um, so I like that a lot. And I remember hearing it when I was younger and going, man, I got to get one of those. And I remember trading a Mesa Boogie Mark IV preamp for it. And so I use that, and this should hopefully make people chuckle. There's an Alesis Quadroverb running effects, uh-huh. and I've had that thing for, I don't know, 15, 20 years now. And the screen broke like 10 years ago, so it just shows gibberish. So luckily, the last patch, number 99, is what I programmed and what I use. And if anything happens, I just push the scroll up button to the last whatever until it stops scrolling through gibberish. And I know that that's my sound. <laughs> 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 it's really ghetto, I'm telling you. It's great. <laughs> and then I have a, a PV5050 tube power amp that runs stereo. And uh, luckily, all of that crap sounds good going through a uh, Marshall uh, 1960 vintage, which is the one with the, I believe, the Greenback 30s in right. it, which to me just sound awesome. Yeah. Um, and that really made a big difference. I uh, used to use some other speakers, but uh, with some people's advice, I found one of those uh, for a good deal. And that's what I use. 
for practicing and like little small blues gigs. I've got a PV uh, combo here, a uh, Valve King one by twelve. I got to tell you, I've got like seventeen or eighteen guitars and two amplifiers, and I'm really uh, lame when it comes to amps, uh, and I, and I got to change that. Um, but my theory is, is you know, you go to the store, you buy a guitar, you spend the rest of the afternoon sort of holding that guitar on the sofa while you watch TV and noodling around. Mm-hmm. You can't really just come home and sort of hug a combo amp on the couch, <laughs> just hold it, you know. <laughs> so there's no romance in that. No. To go buy an amp is yeah. it's so utilitarian to me. It's like, all right, now I got to carry this thing into my house, you yeah. know. Yeah. There's no love there, you know. It's not like getting used to that new guitar for the next five days by yeah. playing it, you know, nonstop. Yeah. No, I agree with you absolutely. I'm I'm the same way. I think I think I I think I've got three amps and I don't know how many guitars. I mean, just it's ridiculous. And my wife hate my wife. It drives her crazy. <laughs> now I think my next purchase might be either like a Black Star combo or one of the new uh, Eddie Van Halen three amps. I hear are very good. Uh-huh. So. Uh-huh. Somewhere, be, somewhere between half stack and one twelve, I need maybe like a two twelve combo or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's simple and it's and it does the job. Yeah, for sure. So, what's next for you? What, what I mean, obviously, you said you want to, you're going to put something out sooner than later. Yeah, you know, um, initial thoughts are this one. I, my my next project for sure is this. I'm going to be releasing digitally a. Uh, album of play long tracks every time i've released an album i've had the engineer make me mixes without the lead guitar parts because i end up doing clinics and things at stores or at the nam show where i need to play to my own tracks Mm -hmm. so i've had you know that done every time so now i've got like 17 or 18 you know tracks that i you know from the last four albums of uh just play long tunes and i know as a teacher that man, one of the greatest things that's out there these days is the ability to play to jam tracks, you know, mm-hmm. to take whatever concept, scale, chords that you're learning or rhythmic, you know, uh, motif or device and apply it to a musical setting. You know, mm-hmm. I always tell students to go, the best thing you can do is you're kind of learning a language now is to get out there and speak with as many people or jam with as many people as possible. But in lieu of that, we have jam tracks these days. Right. Granted, it's a one-way conversation, but it's a really great tool. And so I know that every week or two, I'm sort of downloading something new to jam over. Mm-hmm. And I thought that I would do the same thing. Mm-hmm. So I've literally got about four to six tunes from every album uh, that are already had been mixed. I'm going to get those mastered, uh, put in order, make sure that all the uh, count-offs are sort of sounding the same uh, since these kind of date back, you know, 12 years, mm-hmm. um, and have that available. I'm probably not going to do it as a, as a physical CD, but you know, I just tell myself, man, I download these from iTunes all the time. That's where it's going to live. And that's sort of the next thing. That's so nice. that'll probably be out in the next couple months. Um, uh, right now that is at my, uh, mastering engineer, uh, his studio and he's putting that together. I got to just put together artwork and maybe some uh, notes for it. And, uh, that'll come out. Um, in addition to that, I've started a new book, and this is going to be a series of workouts. Um, the guitar, uh, progressive guitar warm-ups and exercises, for those who haven't bought it yet, that is purely musical nonsense. It is getting your fingers to move in different ways and you being able to pick all of that stuff. 
Um, it's not based on scales. It's not based on being in a key or anything. It's literally just warm-ups and exercises, musical nonsense, um, but stuff to get your fingers moving correctly. Mm -hmm. And this new book is going to be sort of the opposite of that. It's going to get people uh, used to practicing in a musical context in a particular key and kind of bringing all that home. You know, really it's, it's one thing to know a handful of scales, but to know all the positions and all the modes and all the chordal harmony that goes with them uh, and how they relate to each other, both visually and sonically, is kind of the next step for most people. And once they get all of that together, um, they tend to look at the fretboard way differently than they used to before. They see all the connections, all the repetitiveness in the patterns across the neck, up and down the neck, diagonally across the neck, mm -hmm. uh, from octave to octave. And that's kind of the goal of this next book. Um, and then after that, is probably going to be the next album. And when the more I think about it, um, the more I realize that I think I'm going to take it into two different directions. So I'm thinking maybe two EPs, maybe five or six songs each. And one of those EPs will definitely be along the lines of the classical stuff that you hear on Tone Poet. Um, reason being, I can do that here all by myself and not have to spend a fortune on drums, vocals, bass, mixing, I don't know, I don't know. Sure. And the other one would be, and um, most people mm -hmm. wouldn't know this, is probably going to be a bunch of blues tunes. Mm -hmm. um, out here in L.A., obviously, you know, one of the few places I can play where I can do instrumental guitar music but to extend, you know, my evening performances, if I have to do two or three sets, you know, there's only so many tunes uh, that you can play. And I know myself that I'm probably not going to sit around and hear some guy do guitar solos, you know, for three sets. So I've been doing some vocal blues classic tunes, you know, songs like Nobody Knows You When You're Down and Out, Thrill Is Gone, uh, Further On Up The Road. And uh, it's been going over really well. And mm. I've... And this is probably not something anybody wants to ever hear, but uh, I've been singing. So, <laughs> and I say that because we've all heard the results of Steve Vai and Joe Satriani and Ingrid Mountain singing. And while we applaud them for taking you know, musical chances in their careers, That's nobody's funny. ever returned to that. You know, like, <laughs> That's pretty so this will be a little risky for sure, um, <laughs> but I think it's something that as probably just like those three guys, we feel like we need to explore and make a goal out of and kind of just sort of make that statement. And plus, I just like playing those tunes, and I think it makes sense for the people that go bonkers when I play these blues tunes right. have something that they can buy, you know, if they like it so much. Sure. So that's, that's I think, what I got on the horizon. That's super cool. That's really great. So where can people get a hold of you if they want to get in touch with you? And um, My website, adriangalish.com, A-D-R-I-A-N-G-A-L-Y-S-H.com. Um, you know, there's a contact uh, page there. You just, you know, fill in an email, and I get that email. So if anybody wants to ask me anything, uh, they want to book me, they want to do anything, or if they want to buy anything, my website is uh, the place to go. From there, they can find links to my YouTube channel, my Facebook and Twitter pages, and my blog. Cool. Well, listen, don't hang up. 
I want you to do an ID for the show, but we're going to okay. si- we're going to sign off right here. Adrian, thanks for being on the show. Hey, thanks for having me. I really Adrian, appreciate it. I appreciate you having me in here and you you put it out and we'll play it. Cool. All right.
have it, folks. Mr. Adrian Gallish. The new album is called Tone Poet, and you can find it most anywhere. Excellent stuff. Excellent. And thanks so much, Adrian, for being on the show. Like I said, you keep making it, we'll keep playing it. Hey, folks, we got to get out of here, but check us out, guitarradioshow.com. Uh, email your uh, road dog pictures our way, and uh, let us know about anything else you, you're interested in hearing. And uh, follow us on Twitter, Instagram, Tumblr, like our Facebook page. And uh, please, don't forget to rate and review the show. We really, uh, that, that helps us out a lot. We got to get out of here. We'll see you next time on Guitar Radio Show. Peace. Everybody say, fuck you, Ed. Fuck you, Ed. <laughs> I like this crowd already. Productions.